Today on Stick to Football, if you're watching on YouTube, you can check us out in the BR Suite in Mobile, Alabama for Senior Bowl week. We have a fun show planned for you guys. It'll be a little different here on your Wednesday morning. We're going to do a prospect roundtable. We have Atlanta Falcons GM Thomas Dimitrov. We have Buffalo Bills GM Brandon Bean stopping by. So we're going to get to ask them a ton of questions about the Senior Bowl, about the scouting process, about the quarterbacks. So a lot of cool questions between those guys. But we wanted to kick off the show and do something different because we get so caught up talking about the news of you know what's happening around the league. And this podcast was started to be like a draft pod- podcast. And so we're going to take it back a little bit and do a prospect roundtable where I've picked uh, five different prospects or positions that we're just going to have open-ended conversations about. It's not going to be real regimented. We're just going to kind of have a free-flowing, fun show for you today. So let's kick it off right here, guys. Behind us, practice is about to start. And unfortunately, these guys aren't on the same team because I think it would have been a lot of fun. But Justin Herbert and Jordan Love, I think, are are battling this week for quarterback three position and getting ready for this over the last month. Been watching a ton of tape on guys we knew we would see here in Mobile. And for me, that means over the last month, like I have started to fall in love again with Jordan Love because of the traits. I think this is a good week for him, guys, to show off. We talked about this some on the, the show that we recorded Monday night. This is a big opportunity for both these guys to answer some questions we have about them. So, Melo, I have Jordan Love, QB3, Justin Herbert, QB4. Where are they at for you right now? I'm flipped. I I have Herbert 3 right now. Uh, I think that he's going to come out here with a big senior bowl and prove that he can throw in jorts like we always talk about, Connor. That's right. Uh, uh, He's set up for it. Guy measures in at 6'6", 225. He's he's set up to have a big week. I, I think I'm more intrigued by the upside of Jordan Love when I look at this now that we always talk about this. The spectrum on both these guys, the floor to ceiling, is gigantic. If both of them come out in our first round picks and don't have a lot of NFL success, I don't think a lot of people would be shocked because we've seen roller coaster careers for them both at college. But on the good side of things, I watched Jordan Love go back to 2018 and you look at how he could throw the football down the field, how he moves. And I think you could say the same thing about Herbert a lot of the time too. And that's why I want to see them both out on this practice field. But for me right now, I do have Jordan Love as QB3 but just because I'm more intrigued with that ceiling. And I think he can come out of here and really solidify himself as a top 15 pick when a lot of people, including myself at times, expect him to be a round two guy this year. Right, and I think with, with both these quarterbacks, when you're talking about a guy as a prospect, that's your ranking of them pre-draft. It's not who's going to be a better NFL player necessarily. It's who you like more. Imagine these are stocks. Like, would you rather have, you know, Pepsi or Coke? And you're, you're picking one and betting on its trajectory. And I think with Jordan Love, the reason I have him ranked higher is I am more willing to bet on his traits and that being surrounded by a really poor supporting cast this year, that those can be developed, that you can see it go forward, whether it's a Josh Allen or a, a Drew Locke. We've seen a couple guys who fit that mold. With Justin Herbert, I'm still so concerned about a player who at times just misses easy throws. And I don't know that I've seen him consistently get to a second and third read. I saw Love do that in 2018 when Matt Wells was the head coach. And I'll even go back to, because I know people are like, well, what's the one game I should watch? If you actually watch Jordan Love against LSU this year, I know he threw two picks. He had a good game other than that, with no help. He can wow you with his arm. Sometimes he's going to make a throw that no one else can make. The interceptions are such a worry for me, though. He threw so many interceptions this year, losing his coach. You can't do that in the NFL. Jameis does it. He's the only one. And he's probably going to get replaced as quarterback of the Bucs. So I just don't think you can throw those interceptions. That's what Herbert does well, he Better. doesn't turn the ball over. Right. Right. But I think you like the counterpoint to that is he doesn't take chances. So he's not going to throw the And I think that's with love, and maybe I'm making excuses for the guy. It feels like he's trying so hard to make something happen. I'm not making this comparison. But you remember Deshaun Watson's last year at Clemson? Right. Why are you turning the ball over so much? It's because he was trying to make things happen. He was forcing. He was pressing at times. 
that results in turnovers. You mentioned Jameis, who did the same thing at Florida State. 30 for 30. carried over into the NFL now. So I think with Love, that's why this week's important. Like, I want to see his accuracy. He's going to be asked to do some things that make him uncomfortable. So we know he can move. We know he has the arm. People are probably going to throw around Patrick Mahomes as, like, a, a superhero. Like a poor man's Patrick Mahomes. Right. But let's see if he's as accurate as he needs to be. And I think another thing with Herbert, that offensive line was obviously considered the best in the country. So we know, we've seen Herbert play behind a really good offensive line. You can't say Jordan Love played behind that caliber of an offensive line. So I think getting down here, one thing I love about the Senior Bowl is especially for quarterbacks, the the, the playing field evens out really quick, right? And like you said, Matt, it's kind of a shame they're not in the same roster because you're not seeing them throw side-by-side in drills. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of talented players here that can catch the ball and get separation, and there's going to be a lot of throwing drills that there won't be pressure. So yeah. I'm excited to see both of them throw and just see. Herbert has accuracy questions. He really does. It's not just a question about him and uh, love and their accuracy issues, but I'm really excited for They're it. They're getting ready for practice. There's music on in the background. They're getting fired up for practice. So uh, we're going we're gonna to push through it. We're going to try to make this work. Uh, let's move on to the D-line, guys. One player who's not here is Derek Brown, senior from Auburn. Uh, his teammate Marlon Davidson is. We expect a good week from him. But that D-tackle one seems cemented that it's Derek Brown. But can Javon Kinlaw do anything for you guys to get into that number one spot this week? Like, I like Kinlaw. He's a top 15 player. I just don't think he can pass Derek Brown. It's going to be so tough because Derek Brown does everything. And I think Kinlaw does too. I don't want to – we're going Kinlaw versus Brown. I like both players, yeah. but Derek Brown just looks so special with his ability to play different techniques and play along that defensive line the way he does and disrupt passing plays and play versus the run. He's too good. I love the soundtrack we have, by the way. I think the most important thing here is that Kinlaw's here, right? And I'm not saying Derek Brown needed to be here or anything like that, but you can only do what you're given. And I think Kinlaw's taken every opportunity in front of him. You hear him talk about he's been through a lot, whether it is the homelessness and going through the college process and just having food on the table for him is something that was super important and not always guaranteed. So I think for Kinlaw, uh, we're seeing him get better each year, which is really important. And Derek Brown did too. But I think the most important thing is the spectrum of it with Kinlaw is he can really show everyone here, listen, I wasn't on a team that was closely watched every single week, but I'm going against some good offensive linemen. Yeah. I'm going to win these one-on-ones. Derek Brown's probably going to be a top-10 pick. I think Kinlaw's more going to be in the top 20. But once again, there is a gap there that Kinlaw can make up at least some ground. And a player we didn't plan on talking about, but I'm going to bring him up because we saw three senior defensive linemen go back to school last year. And thought, oh, let's see what happens. Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, and Raquan Davis. Who kind of fell off the map completely? But now, as we get you know closer to the draft and the process of it all, I'm hearing from teams like he could still be a first round pick. So Raquan Davis, if we feel like one and two are set on interior defensive line, I think Raquan Davis needs to remind people of his play because you got Ross Blacklock in there, Neville Gallimore's in there. Like there's some good Marlon Davidson's in there. There's some good interior defensive linemen that Raquan needs to here in, in home state, remind people how good he was last year. And I like his fit for any scheme as well. I really like him as a 3-4 defensive end that can generate some pressure, much like a J.J. Watt does. I think that every scheme, you can find a spot for him as well. I do think that he's getting slept on, and I, and I think that he will come out here this week and prove uh, that he needs to be here and that last year we had him in the first round. I think he gets back to that talk after this week. And it's been an interesting career for Raekwon Davis. You come into the 2018 season and all eyes are on him. He's in the top 10 of every summer mock draft, which those are early, so there's you know they're never going to be super accurate. But then Quentin Williams, his first year as a starter, steals the show. Raekwon Davis played okay, not great. Quentin Williams played great. 
Raekwon Davis goes back to school this year. I thought he was okay. Once again, he's not a bad player. I don't think he's a great player. He's not Derek Brown. He's not Kinlaw. Uh, first round would be a little rich for me, especially a guy, the value of the 3-4 defensive end. But if he went round two and was a 10-year NFL starter, I don't think anyone would be surprised. Right. Or if he went to the Ravens, no one would be surprised, That's right? Cool. Yeah, if he comes into the league, though, and he's Chris Jones, I wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, he's very right. polished at this point. A lot of lanes yes. can generate pressure. Right. And, and as far as comps go, it's funny because I watched Javon Kinlaw, and to me, that's who Eric Armstead is now, not who he was coming out of Oregon, but like he's gotten stronger. I think Kinlaw, if he could play 34 defensive end, like you're not running at him. There's no way you could run at him. He would set the edge so well. Derek Brown, probably going to play on the inside where he played at Auburn with Coe and Davidson on the, on the opposite sides or flanking him. So it's just a lot of different usages, guys. Uh, let's transition to wide receiver. Um, right before we recorded this, uh, our good friend Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft dropped like five minutes before we sat down here. And I was very surprised to see that he has CeeDee Lamb over Jerry Judy in a mock draft, which is different than a ranking. For me all year, maybe I'm just being stubborn, I absolutely love Jerry Judy, his quickness, his agility, what he does pre- and post-catch. I know there were some drops in there. And we could poke holes in both players. With CeeDee Lamb, it's how fast are you and the fact that most of your receptions came over the middle of the field on crossing routes. So what is your route tree going to look like? And we can talk about you know DK Metcalf. We didn't like his route tree. It developed over the course of the year. Seahawks put him in a good position to win with what he was good at. I think with CeeDee Lamb, it's going to be similar. He needs to be drafted somewhere where – he can be put in a position to be what he's good at, which is physical over the middle. You know, it's not that dissimilar to Michael Thomas in terms of his route tree. So where are you guys at? For me, it's still Jerry Judy. Then it's CeeDee Lamb. And we can expand on that. Then it's Henry Ruggs. Then it's T. Higgins. And then it's like Justin Jefferson, LaVisca Chenault, K.J. Hamler kind of yeah. fill out the rest of that I, group. I'm kind of in the same with you. I think that I have Lamb and Judy much closer than you do. Uh, but I could see like the team like the Cardinals. If they say, Kyler Murray, what do you think about this guy? He's going to go to bat for him, and maybe you want to get that pairing. So it wouldn't shock me if Lamb goes. For me, the Cardinals need speed. Like what they did last year. Like They drafted Andy Epinesa. Like They just want speed so much. Mm-hmm. And it's like I do feel like we fall into the trap of like the Raiders, the Cardinals for Lamb. Those teams seem like they value speed too much. For me, like that, that would be a Judy fit. Well, we were talking about it last night too. Some teams have a speed threshold. Yep. And they say if you can't run this, sorry about you. Your team has offense. one. My team has one. Yeah, right. Like he would fit your team, but you're not drafting a receiver in the first round. Uh, of course, exactly. So that doesn't really fit the theory they go by. And also, this is how free agency could change everything. We've heard of the Raiders' interest in Robbie Anderson for how many years now? Right. They go sign a speedster, then they could take a guy like Lamb. And, you know, right. there's a good balance there. I think when I look at the wide receiver class, though, I've gone back and forth on both those guys all year. And where I have it right now, I think I have Judy two spots higher than CeeDee Lamb on the big board. And that's because I love both players. I just think... The, uh, the floor is a little higher with Judy because something, Matt, you always go back to saying, he separates. He runs great routes and he's fast. And I'm not saying C.D. Lamb needs to do that because he's so physical. But if you're betting on one, you feel good about Judy. I think you go back to the production thing. There is some inflated production in the Oklahoma offense. And let's be real, when you're the target share is a little tough when you play with Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, yeah. or Jalen Waddell. Yeah. I love both players. I think what's more interesting to me is the, the tier below them because I'm really high on Justin Jefferson pretty high on T. Higgins. I still like Chanel. I hope he could stay healthy. Where are you on Ruggs? Ruggs is right above all of them. So yeah. for me, right now, just being very transparent, Judy, C.D., Ruggs, then you really get into the Jefferson, T. Higgins, Chanel. Donovan Peoples-Jones is somebody I want to see how he runs. I think he's going to and test for it. That's well. why you come to the senior role and you hear, this guy's going to be a first-rounder. Like, no, I just don't see how it's going to fit. I when you have you. so many great receivers. Brandon Allen, that guy's not practicing yeah, now. This exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, so it is tough. And, you know, back to Lamb and Judy, these guys are so similar in size 
they play like they're completely different. They really do. Judy plays like he's much smaller than what yes. he is, and Lamb plays like he's much bigger than he is. I think that can be a difference maker, too, because Lamb can go up and get the ball. He can catch contested balls, and he's explosive after the catch. I, I think that's a big difference. I have a question says. for you guys. Do you think the gap from the Judy-CD tandem is really that big down to rugs? Because I think it's it's tighter than people think. I think I have it. Judy three, Lamb like nine rugs eleven. I'm right yeah. there, kind of with like, you. Yeah. And that speed is going to play. You can find a spot for him, even if it's just taking the top off the defense. Well, and I think rugs. Yeah, like rugs fit's going to matter. But like if rugs went to the Eagles, like, it's a copycat okay. league. People are going to look at what the Chiefs and the 49ers are doing with that speed, and they say, well, let's put that out there. Is that Tyree Kill? Is it Debo Samuel? That's Henry Ruggs. Because somebody has to account for that speed every play. And I think he got you. better this somebody. Year. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Really Last year I watched him and I go, okay, the guy can win down the he's field, fast. jet sweeps, he's fast, great, he's a yep. good player. This year you see better routes. Yep. I think his hands are strong. I saw a lot with Henry Ruggs this year where I'm like, no, he can mold into a number he one a wide catch, receiver. I kept against LSU where I was like, oh, shit, like that's a real receiver. And he beat Christian Fulton, yeah, who's a good corner. The size thing, he's not little. No, he's 6'190". Yep. He's not 5'10", 180. That's right. a that's a good size receiver. That's about Odell Beckham's size. Yeah. Can you tell Mello was screaming his head off at Arrowhead Sunday? Isn't that obvious? The voice <laughs> is going. Yeah, it's going. Yeah. You need some tea, buddy. A couple more days to get through. <laughs> yeah. Let's go two more positions, uh, and then practice is going to start for us. Running back one. I feel like there is a huge argument in the Twitter community, in the scouting community. I get it from, from scouts all the time. Travis Etienne kind of shook this thing up. Najee Harris shook this thing up. Chuba Hubbard shook it up. For me, and I don't remember exactly when I came to this opinion. I, I want to say it was late December. It's J.K. Dobbins for me. I, I think what we saw him do in the Big Ten as a receiver, as a runner, he is so good at power football, but the burst was better this year. A year ago, I was dogging this guy. I was like, he does not look fast. His quickness is gone. Mike Weber was a better running back. But then this year, it's like, okay, the power is back. And, and his ability to plant and go with the league going copycat. You want to talk about copycat? Everybody you know is going to be running inside-outside zones from now on because of the Niners, because of the Chiefs. J.K. Dobbins is perfect for that. So for me, he's one. DeAndre Swift is two. And then I think after that, it's Jonathan Taylor at three now because we have so many declarations. But I will let me throw one in. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is still my dude, and I will jump on this table for him if I have to because I, I don't know that he'll be a top 50 pick, but I think he'll be a very good NFL player. I think player. he will be. I think we all have it shaking out similar, the same top four guys. I have Swift first because his versatility. I think that he's going to run well in the 40, and him, his ability to catch the ball and, like you said, put his foot in the ground and change directions is going to be key. He has some huge runs at Georgia. He was the guy there. I really like Swift. I just think that his speed and agility is going to be the difference maker. A lot of people are going to fall in love with Dobbins. I have him as running back three. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to come and show out in the 40. God, I just hate his touches. But look at Derrick Henry. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we can make that. But some guys are built different. But if Jonathan yes. Taylor is going to suck for tears like Derrick Henry did and then be good, like I don't know if I like I don't know where I value that. Probably I, in the middle of round two where Derrick Henry went. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I, late round one yeah. tops. Yeah. But you can get a running back like that in round two. I mean, guys like Zeke Kelly, a lot of guys have a lot of carries, and they just keep pounding the ball. Yeah. I think with Taylor, like, you have to pair him. I just Like, if, if Derrick Henry leaves as a free agent and the Titans can get Jonathan Taylor in the second round, amazing. Like, that's great. Yeah. But when was the last running back that had a lot of carries in college? It was like, well, he's good for four years, and then he sucked. 
I mean, we're seeing running backs now. It's like we're flipping back. I mean, we're going back to power run game. One running back carrying the rock for 25 game, 25 carries a game, yeah. and they're doing it for a long time. And I think getting back to Swift because he's my running back one as well, and I haven't moved off that since the summer when we made our first rankings. I see a lot of what makes Christian McCaffrey so great in the NFL right now in Swift's game. And people are going to jump at that and say, well, how do you compare Swift to the best running back in the NFL? Yeah. But the usage should be the same well, at the Kamara, next level. Like McCaffrey, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. And I think with Swift, I think he was a little banged up this year. That's no yep. secret. I think he catches the ball very well. I think home run hitting speed in the NFL matters. And, and Dobbins looked much more explosive this year to me than yep. he has in the last two years. But I think Swift, besides testing really well, I love the vision. I, I think he's a back that never comes off the field. I just think he's more explosive than Dobbins. So he Swift, is. Dobbins, JT for me. Those are the top three. I love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's kind of a lock-in at four. Number five is what's fascinating to me because I look at somebody that's going to be on the field this week in Keyshawn Vaughn. I'd like to see him take that spot because right. I think he's a 4-3 player. The three guys you mentioned went back to school. Cam that, Akers that makes is it in wide there open. somewhere. Cam Akers is in yeah. that conversation. There's a Zach lot of different Ross players not gonna be here. who should have been here. It, I think is, that hurts him a lot. Yeah, I do volunteering too. to not be here. Not injured. He's just not here. I think it's a bad look. All right, before we take a break and get to these general managers, a guy who's quickly becoming one of my favorite players in this class, and you guys, we spend a lot of time behind the scenes talking about players and the process of evaluating them, so you know who I'm going to talk about. And that's Patrick Queen, the linebacker at LSU. And, like, I just I, I love his game. To me, he is exactly what you want in a linebacker in the NFL right now. He has speed. He has range. He can cover. It's great coverage. And that's, that's what you need. And I think your team needs him. Like, at 31 and 32, if he's there, the Chiefs should be doing backflips to draft this guy because he's smart, he's fast, he's instinctive. So linebacker is an interesting position this year because we've talked a lot about Kenneth Murray. Del Moses goes back to school. So, obviously, Isaiah Simmons is number one. Then the conversation, I think, gets interesting. I have it Patrick Queen, then Kenneth Murray, and then uh, Malik Harrison, who we'll see here from Ohio State. Zach Bond is like such a versatile player. I don't know. You want to call him an edge, you call him a linebacker, whatever. If he's a linebacker, he's in this group too. And that's the way I have it. I have it Murray, number two, though. I, you can't overlook that production. Like linebacker is a spot where production, I think, does matter. His ability to see through the trash and play sideline to sideline, you need somebody that can come stop the run. This is your guy. And I think he's good in coverage, too. I don't think he's what Queen is. But his ability to play the run and get to tackles is impressive. I almost wonder if Queen's a Will and Murray's a Mike. You I, know, like, I, I would agree with that. I think like they're very different side. players. Yeah. Now, how you rank them is tough. I feel like I've watched maybe three Patrick Queen games now. So I feel like I'm behind because I don't think we expected him to declare. Yeah. We're watching those other linebackers. Exactly. So I, and I think he's been very, very good. And I would say some of those games is me watching someone else. But when you look at Queen, my favorite thing is his coverage ability. But I think with Murray, like Melo said, and that's why Murray is linebacker too, is that he can get downhill in a hurry, and it's violent. Yeah. He's a leader too. Yes. You look at the way that defense responds to him being on the field. He's a leader. He can take over your defense as a rookie, as a second-year player, he can be that captain. And I don't have Queen and Murray far apart. I think there's a, I think both go first. And they're, they're different. I think the conversation that's more interesting is when you get to linebacker four, and you brought up Malik Harrison, I want to see how Evan Weaver plays, how well he moves, because yeah. he's somebody that can fall into yep. those top five linebackers Super productive. very easily. It's a wide-open race after those three guys. Troy Dye, great Troy player Dye. in Oregon. But a good, long career. Talking about leadership, instincts, Troy Dye's got it always a little bit undersized. I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions. Uh, the kid from App State, uh, Gaither Davis, yeah. he's He's an athlete. He's a little bit undersized, but he's an athlete, so we'll be keeping an eye yeah, on him, too. Yeah, he weighed in at 219. I think for the combine, he'll hope to get to 225. 
as expected for a guy that size, kind of like David Long last year from West yeah. Virginia, moves very, very well. How is he going to hang when he has to come downhill and get smashed in the face by a pulling guard? That's the stuff people want to see. But he did a good job in college. Yeah, definitely did. All right, that is segment one. When we come back, a couple interviews with some guys who will be making these actual picks that we just pretend to know about in late April. Thomas Dimitrov and Brandon Bean when we get back on Stick Football. Guys, we have amazing interviews for you all week in our first one. The general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. I was telling you on the walk up here that uh, we just got to visit your stadium at the SEC Championship game, and it's beautiful. I grew up going to Arrowhead, which is great, has its charms, but Mercedes-Benz is it's like the seventh wonder of the world. How cool is it to be like, oh, yeah, I work there, no big deal. It's pretty cool. Now, we're not there that much, right? We're right. there for games. Our, our, our office is in Flowery Branch, which is about 45 minutes north. But every time we get a chance to be down there, I mean, it's, it does the same thing to me. Every time I go in there, especially if the roof's ever off, right, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we kind of had that holy shit moment when we walked <laughs> in. Like, I, I don't know That's if you right. did with the first time you yeah. walked in there, but it's like we've been in some good stadiums, but when you walk in there, it's just a different feel. That's oh, great. And, you know, just the energy there, obviously the way that the, the uh, just the whole video element of it mm-hmm. all. I remember at the Super Bowl last year. Was that last year? God, it seems like yeah, it was just it was, yesterday. Yeah. Last year, the colors in the place, the way that they had it, it was it just it really popped. It's just it's top notch. Get a chance to see it, obviously with the you know with our soccer team as well, right? So they adjusted a little bit. The the, the city loves it, and anyone who gets a chance to go in there just thrives. Yeah. So just they love it. Thomas, what number senior bowl is this for you? This one. So I think it's twenty uh, six or seven, something like that. I don't want to don't don't quote me on that and go back. And go, this guy does. No, look, I started coming when my dad was with the Browns at one time, and I was still in. Uh, I think I was still in college. So it's been a lot of years. Yeah. I mean, life's life's flying by. I was telling someone down there, I got this job when I was in uh, in two oh eight. This job, and now you know, I was forty years old. All of a sudden, I'm fifty three. You guys are young, so you guys are like fifty three already. My <laughs> yeah, God, right. seems- I remember when you got hired. So now I feel old too. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember right. that. But you've been doing this. You have to be one of the longest tenured general managers in the NFL now, if not the longest, with Ozzie Newsom retiring. So it, it, I think it's third right now, and I think it's uh, I think it's Mickey Loomis, and I think it's Kevin Colbert, and then I think it's, yeah. it might be me. Belichick kind of cheats and doesn't call himself the GM, but <laughs> right. I shouldn't have said Belichick kind of <laughs> yeah. cheats. That was I wasn't trying to back <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't back into that. Right, right. <laughs> never mind. Avoid no. that. But I do want to ask you, how important is the Senior Bowl week to what you guys do as a scouting staff for the Atlanta Falcons? So it's big. We bring our entire staff down here, scouting staff, of course. We bring a number of coaches who want to come down here. We're, we don't. It's not mandated for our coaches, but we do a lot of work off of all the video that we get, of course. But being down here, we start our interview processes. Basically, we start at the East-West, and then we fold into this week, right? And we're doing a lot of interviews here. For me, though, as, as a general manager, what I really want to do is I just want to be down there and watch these guys live, watch them move around. I've always used the line, sniff their pits. Like, that means a right. lot to me. I need to be close. I need to, need to see them. Sometimes when we're traveling around the country and we're watching the colleges, it's a little different, right? When you're down there watching them against the ostensibly, you know, the top talent in the in the league in the country, it's fun to watch how they interact, right? Not not only moving around, but how they interact personally. You know, th- this isn't like all kind of uh, teed up like it would be at the college they're at. It's new for them. Watching them interact with the players and the coaching staff is is good for us. So is it a lot of watching that character development, that leadership? Uh, just as much as probably how fast they are, how big they are, how strong. That that's an important thing for me, especially when people are out here looking for quarterbacks or out here looking for leadership. Right, we've had a lot of discussion about that in our in you know within our team. 
leadership, right? Leadership's different from, you know, you're in college, it's different, right? In high school, we all remember that. A lot of us were captains in high school, and more and more, the expectations as you move up, you to be a leader in the, on an NFL team, to be an alpha dog leader, like you really, really have to, to narrow down on what that person is. I love seeing it out here. I mean, I, it's funny because there aren't that many of them, right? So every once right. in a while, when you see someone who really stands out like that, it's interesting. You know, last year we had a chance to see Chris Lindstrom out here, right? Tough ass dude, right? Yeah. I love Boston what he's about. Kid, yeah, man. Boston college kid. Can I say that word on here? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. want. Yep. Okay. You can even say good. fuck if you want. Uh, I, I was somewhere recently, and I thought I could. That's good. Okay. You guys can say that. I'll, yeah. I'll make sure I don't do that because right. my, yeah. my PR a, guy over is like, no, please don't, don't do that. that. Right. But that's good. That's good to know. But, it, yeah, I just I think yeah, I think that's where we're on it. So. We tell so many people that want to work in football, come down to the Senior Bowl, whether it's the networking, the contacts you can make, watching practice. And I love that you said I've been coming down here for a long time since I was in college because I think – you have one of the best stories out of all the GMs in football, whether it's starting in the CFL, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but then a yeah. stopover in Japan and then coming back and getting into NFL scouting. What's this road been like for you from those beginnings to now being one of the longest tenured GMs in the NFL? Well, that, that's where it's really crazy. So born and, and raised in this business, right? Literally came down the, I was going to say, down uh, into, the, into the world. <laughs> my, I mean, my mom was a, was a coach's wife, right? So yeah. I literally came into this world in, as a football person. And, and, and even though I may not look like that, a lot of people are like, ah, this guy, what, he's, he's, he's 165 pounds. Right. He's, he'd rather be cycling. No, I've, all my life, my passion has been football all my life. I, I have a lot of other things that I'm interested in, of course. As I was going through all this, it was interesting because I didn't know whether I wanted to coach or whether, whether I wanted to scout. My dad had coached and he was in scouting and he said, look, Thomas, you know, look at this. See if you want to get into personnel. If you don't, we'll get you a GA job and, and we'll, you know, you can, you can go the coaching route but i'm just telling you this was him telling me many years ago and he was a longtime scout in this league and a longtime coach uh, fortunately he passed away back in 96 but i remember him saying just give personnel a shot and i always what i really loved about football too is i always loved evaluating movement right i thought because for me athleticism was one of the main things movement how these guys move their body control their you know their ability to to recover was always a big thing for me so even as a wannabe coach I wanted to be the best defensive coordinator in the history of the world is really what I wanted to be. It, it went a different way, of course, because I got into scouting. So, yeah, I, I've darted around different places. I was in Japan a little bit, and I was like the, the de facto like uh, defensive coordinator, and I had no helmet and no pads, and I'd go in there and hit these Japanese guys, and they'd be looking <laughs> at me like thinking, call me this dumb gaijin. I think that's what they used to call us over there when, when you're, you're over there and you're, you're not Japanese. But I had a really interesting road, right? And then, as you probably know, I mean, I spent a little time i get emails and uh texts from from uh grounds crew guys you know that side of yes, us, right yes. right they're, they're like hey t like really really cool tell me how you did that and i kind of want to break it to them like look i was already in it i i took a little side side step because i didn't want to start making money in another business right so my dad was working for the browns at the time and i thought hey can i get on the grounds crew let me just be there for six months or a year until another job comes around and that's how that kind of happened you know i was literally out there you know cutting yards and sweeping and doing all the stuff and all those all the guys down there in the in the grounds crew at the browns at that time like they were like yeah right you're going to be a scout yeah i'm sure you're going to be in the football world and you know it was just it was kind of funny because how long did you do that I did it for it was probably it might have been seven months or something like that and I it was it was in between jobs it was after the um, 
I went to Japan and I came back from Japan and I was, it was funny cause I told my dad, look, I want to travel the world. I, I was kind of in that mode too. Right. I was out of the uh, CFL and my dad was a big pusher of like, do not leave this business and have to come back yeah. and try, you know, you don't want people to think you're not excited or you're fired up and, and focused on football. And I was struggling with that because I, I was just at that mode where I really wanted to travel the world. And I, and I wanted to go back to Japan or I wanted to go back to the East and you know, maybe it was going to be, you know, doing something else teaching English or something for a while, but he continued to push me in. And I ended up getting a job with the Detroit lions out of that, out of that gig, uh, from, from working in, uh, you know, at Cleveland grounds crew. That's amazing. It but, is one of the best. Stories. But what, How about this one? Very quickly, Bill Belichick, you know, we all know how, how paranoid and I love Bill. I'm, this is not being derogatory, but Bill particular, he is, I was in that organization working in the grounds crew on the weekends, I don't even know if you knew this, I would go and do scouting for the Kansas City Chiefs in the really? Ohio, Pennsylvania area. So here I am working during How did he week. let you do that? I don't know. I don't know he if probably he didn't know. At that probably, time, yeah. I don't think he no. knew. I don't yeah. think he listens Keep to our podcast. I think you're okay. Uh, we were talking on the way up again about you have a player that I've been doing this. This is my 10th year at the Senior Bowl. And everyone always asks, like, you know, Jerry Judy or, or whoever is like, is he better than Julio as a receiver prospect? Because I, I maintain Julio is the best I've ever seen as a prospect coming out of Alabama. You traded up to draft him. What made him, I mean, we could talk about height, weight, speed, but what made him so special that you were willing to say, I'll trade up for a receiver, that's how good he is? So I, this is another thing that a lot of people probably don't know. I don't even know how public I've been about it. I remember watching those earlier years. So that was in 11 we did that, right? In 8, 9, 10, I remember when we'd play Philadelphia and, and, and we would see, you know who their receiver was at that right. time. He could rip it off the top and we were on our heels all the time. And I thought, we need a player that can be like that, like Deshaun Jackson. Is that right? That's, yeah. that's who it was. Yeah. And, I, and, and he doesn't even know that. I mean, they're not a good comparative like body type, right. but someone who was that explosive. And I remember saying to, at that time, Mike Smith, I said, let's really look at someone that can have a team, whether he catches four balls or 14 balls in a game, a defense is on their heels. And that was a big push to try to get that kind of a player in our organization. Of course, we moved up 21 spots. It was an historical move at that yeah. time. And another thing, as you guys probably read, and I remember, you know, Bill and I were talking about it, and I remember Bill, you know, uh, Belichick. I would call him before drafts, and and it was it was public knowledge that you know that he wasn't a real big fan of that. I don't right. think he was. It was one of those things that his feeling was as a young guy in this business is that are you sure you want to you know sort of pair yourself with that for the rest of your career because you know you're hanging off the off the edge a little bit long and short is we did it organizationally of course i would never look back would never do anything and a he's not a diva guy b he's a tough dude you know he's he's a guy that has his own style of leadership that our organization really thrives on so it's it's is it true he told you to take john ball one instead uh, you know what? At, at that point, when he told me not necessarily to do it, I, I blanked out about who else right. he told me to do it. <laughs> right. But in the end, you know, that, that conversation was over. And I remember saying to myself, wow, th- this is a crossroads in my career, in my early career as a GM that, you know, the one that is, is, is a huge mentor in my, in my career as far as building teams and watching him as I was. And I was only there for six years. But I remember saying to myself, like, that's, that's a big move for me to do that and, and say in the end, hey, you know, uh, Bill, like, if we do this, please don't take this as a disrespectful move. Um, and, and there was. I'm sure he respects you. got to go your own way. Yes. When it's your decision. Like of your, course. We say nut-cutting time because yeah. we're from the Midwest. I mean, it's you trade up 21 spots for a receiver. You're kind of at that spot. Now, where yeah. did Julio stack up with, like, A.J. Green, though? Well, so those, yeah, well, that's an interesting thing, right, brother? Like, A.J. Green's right down the street. 
you knew there were a lot of people in Georgia who were wanting us to go course, after AJ right. Green. They're, they were diff, they're different guys, right? They were right there. Believe me, they were right there. We we you know we don't know how that would have all played out if Cincinnati didn't do that. It was it was one of those things. Like we were really honed in on Julio for sure. But I'm just saying, who knows? Someone else might have traded up. There there might have been a completely different yeah. approach to the draft. We wanted Julio all in all. That's what we wanted. We needed someone that we thought was big and explosive, and that was going to have you know hopefully longevity to him. Even though he had his own injuries early on, you right. remember that foot injury. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, Julio Jones, yeah. no matter what. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Make sure you know. Right. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> One of the biggest topics we we deal with in the scouting media is the value of the running back. You see, some teams willing to dole out big contracts for free agents on the external market. Some teams drafting guys later. And one of my favorite trends I found with you is you've taken a running back five of the last six drafts all round three or later and had a lot of success with it. You know, how do you think, you know, you personally value the position and what is behind that strategy of, hey, we're going to take a guy, not super premium pick every year and just keep taking those swings? Well, I, I mean, I, I truly believe you can find some really good running backs. Of course, they're usually a, a good a good group of running backs out there that have the ability. And if you find the natural elements to those running backs that have the eyes, they have the, the, the natural instincts, the run instincts about them. And they're tough asses, again, with the word ass. Yeah. I'm sorry about that, guys. Careful. Keep it going. Uh, you know, tough, strong, you know, just just what we've done. And we I think that's important for us. So, yes. Now, I would also say when there's all that discussion about, well, why did you end up paying someone eight and a quarter million dollars? Because if you feel that way, why wouldn't you have just churned everyone out at that point for us? You know, Devonta Freeman was a very, very important uh, pick for us and a very yeah. important player for us. Yeah, he did some amazing things back in 16 and continues to do good things for us. So we made an investment there. No question about it. That said, I do believe there is a really good group of running backs that are coming through every year. Yep. Last year, we picked uh, Cadre Allison, you know, a big guy. We wanted a big guy. We went after a guy who was almost 230 pounds. We needed that in our in our rotation, and uh, we're happy with where he is as well. Well, we're happy you stopped by. Thanks for your time. We know practice is starting. we got to get you down there so you can uh, evaluate some players. We'll pick number 16 over on the first round. So we're excited to see what you do. Thank you again so much to you and the Atlanta Falcons for giving us some time today. I appreciate it. 16 for now. Remember that. For now. That's oh, right. Okay. okay. The trade-ups work for you before. <laughs> right. they, have, they have worked. They have yeah. worked. There I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks so Thank much. You. Thank you. I don't know how we pulled this off, guys, but we got two NFL general managers to come talk to us this week. We have Brandon Bean, the Buffalo Bills general manager, and congratulations on making the playoffs this year. Uh, I think you guys surprised a lot of people, especially the three of us. We didn't see that coming, so congratulations. I wanted to start off, though, with a question not about your team. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording. You became the general manager right after the 2017 draft, so you have to be honest with us now. Where did you have Patrick Mahomes graded when you were with the Panthers? Uh, was, he your, was he your QB1 when you were with the Panthers? Oh, of course. Right? <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't he be? It's right. e- easy scouting, right? Yeah, what right. kind of idiot would make that mistake, right? <laughs> we had this guy, Cam Newton, so mm-hmm. uh, I can't say we, we dug deep into the quarterbacks uh, there. That was uh, I walked out the door right after we drafted McCaffrey, and uh, he's been fun to watch. I wish I could have took him to Buffalo with me yeah. uh, when I left, but yeah. uh, he's done a nice job. Well, you do mention Cam Newton, and it seems like you got a guy very similar to him. What similarities does Josh Allen have to Cam Newton? Yeah, you know, that comparison uh, we've had a few times. And we we scrimmaged against them in in Carolina preseason this year, and so a lot of people were were bringing that up with both of them on the field. They're obviously both uh, big, athletic. Um, you know, they're leaders. You know, so a lot of stuff, physical skill sets, very similar. Uh, so I understand it, um, but they're still different. Um, but I do think from the way the game has evolved with you're seeing these these athletic, mobile quarterbacks that can also, you know, similar to Cam, he can take. 
you know, Josh can take some physical hits. Cam was able to do that as well. You don't want to make that a, you know, an everyday, every game type of situation. But, uh, you know, they're, they're also different guys, and I think Josh will want to form his own path. And, and again, Cam is a, was an MVP uh, in his prime in 2015, and uh, I know he's excited uh, in talking to the people in the Panthers to, to try and get back out there and reprove himself. The one thing I love that you did is you go out, you spend money on the offensive line for your young quarterback. You draft someone like Cody Ford for your quarterback, get some wide receivers, some tight ends, and it really helped him take a lot of big steps this year. What do you think is next on the personnel side for your offense to, that Josh needs to take an even bigger step in 2020? Yeah, you know, uh, we had to look at ourselves after 2018. You know, that was Josh's rookie year, and uh, what can we do to help him? And, and again, I take a lot of that on, on my shoulders. You know, we made the moves to. Uh, get rid of a lot of dead cap money in 18 and and um it was painful going through some of that with a rookie quarterback um but we had to you know first of all protect josh and uh he got hit way too much the first year we really couldn't run the ball either uh, which we know a running game can be a quarterback's best friend so last year to your point we attacked uh you know adding mitch morse uh we brought ty nasecki john feliciano uh quentin spain and then the draft uh we added cody ford and and i think you know if you're not good up front it's hard to execute so we want to continue to stay strong up front so i'm not saying we've arrived up there either uh we need to continue to get better uh but then also you know adding weapons for him guys you know we devin singletary came on this year but um you know you're always needing multiple backs so you know another player there and and receivers tight ends we'll look for any type of playmakers i call them you know touchdown makers guys that get the ball in the hands take the pressure off josh where he doesn't feel like um, he has to make every play himself let me dump this six yard little hitch route or you know curl route and let the guy make a guy miss and you know take it 50 we've heard a lot of people say this is a historic wide receiver class potentially is that something are you at a point where you can appreciate the depth of this class yet or have you dug in that deep yeah you know you can tell already especially now that the underclassmen have declared you know you hear which guys are coming out and which guys aren't now it's it, it's pretty much official so um i think there and and there were some guys here who's unfortunately there's a couple guys that, that bowed out due to injury uh, but this this class, you know, coming in here, I thought was was pretty talented. And there's some guys, you know, just watching this first practice. You go, man, this guy, he's going to play on Sunday and make some plays for somebody. So uh, it's going to be a fun process going through it. Uh, I love the Senior Bowl in the sense that it gives us a chance to really focus on the seniors because um, when you get to the combine, a lot of the underclassmen start to start to show up. So uh, we can knock a lot of these guys off and, and, and focus more there at, at a lot of positions. But receivers uh, is definitely going to be a fun position to go through this spring. Yeah, and this is going to be the part of the podcast where it gets a little bit weird. Uh, let's back it up to when you did draft Josh Allen. I said Josh Allen would not be a top 10 pick in the NFL. And, and Matt here said that Josh Allen would be a top 10 pick in the NFL. And we made a bet um, on it. Loser had to get a tattoo. So I'm supposed to get a tramp stamp because of Josh Allen. Since it was your fault, you're going to pitch in any money on that? I, I love it. I don't know if I want to see the picture of the tramp stamp. Right. That'll cost uh, you more than Are you, you going to see it or are you going to pay for it? I, I yeah. love it. You know what? I'll contribute. I love it because I'm, okay, I'm glad that Josh was, was available yeah. in the top ten to make that pick. I'm check that off my list. Right. And, and you've been aggressive about moving up to get guys, you know, to, yeah. to move up and get a Josh Allen. And I loved Tremaine Edmonds, who you drafted last year. So is that something that you think that's kind of your MO as a GM where you're going to be aggressive 
aggressive to go get guys when you when you see them on the board? Yeah, definitely. You know, I let the board tell me, you know, you know what what decisions we need to make, mm-hmm. and if a guy is sticking out uh, above, you know, everybody else, you know, on the board, and it continues to fall, and, and again, that Tremaine thing happened. I never would have thought. Um, you know, because if we had not gotten Josh and moved from 12 to 7 at that point, um, it, you know, I was looking at the board, Tremaine would have been the guy we would have taken at 12. So you're sitting there and he starts falling. And when he got to 14, um, I think it was Green Bay was on the clock and you start going, man, we should start calling. And, and we called and um, Oakland wouldn't do it because they had already traded down uh, with someone else. And so they were going to pick at 15, and then we found Baltimore, who was willing to do it at 16. So we just we felt the value was there, and, and it was a big hole for us. So when the value meets you know, a big hole that you got, uh, why not be aggressive? Yeah, and that was something I loved about the series the Bills did with you guys. The raw motion in the draft room, and, and the best one to me was when Cody Ford is falling down the board. Now, I love Cody Ford. I thought he'd go in the first round, and you guys obviously thought he was going to go probably top 35-ish. Mm-hmm. At that point, he keeps falling, falling. Greg Little goes ahead of him. What are those raw motions like? Is that the most adrenaline you can feel as an evaluator doing this when the clock is ticking and you know your guy's sitting there and you got to make a move? Yeah, it's fun. It's, fun. it's nerve-wracking. Yeah, it looks um, it. You know, but And that's why you see the emotion and and you know the people that we have in Buffalo that did that embedded. Um, you know, you're always unnerved a little bit. People are filming everything and mic'd up and all that, but because uh, there's a lot of you know private conversations that are going on, and and uh, they did a great job with that piece, and uh, it, that was truly you know as authentic as, as as fans you know could watch something because you know at the last minute you know a team we were trying to trade up and then another team trades up and you think man and, and they look they have that position and and Cody was the guy we wanted um not to say their player wasn't either but uh Cody was the guy that we had been calling about a few picks ahead trying to get up without mortgaging too much of our picks because we still you know had a lot of guys on the board that that we knew we had you know high values on but uh when when we found that we could get Cody and we had that deal with Oakland, it was just uh, it was super awesome. Now, one thing I do want to ask, and I, uh, being in the AFC East, obviously you have to deal with Tom Brady, but Tom's free agent. I know you can't talk about that yet because the league year hasn't started, but would you be excited if maybe the greatest player of all time was no longer in your division? Is that something that you've looked forward to? Is If he could leave, we got a chance to win this damn division. Uh, getting Brady out of there, I, I'm sure everyone would feel pretty good. He's the best of all time, so... Yeah. Uh, uh, you wish him well, but uh, um, you know I'm not rooting for him to to come back to New England or anything <laughs> like that. I've said it before we'd we'd love for him to retire or you know or move on. Um, but uh, he's he's a fun player for our guys to go against, and and what a career he's had and and will continue to have. Uh, it sounds like going forward into his 40s, which is just amazing itself. But uh, no, he is you know the greatest of all time without a doubt in my mind. And to go against that twice a year makes it hard. So I can't sit here and say I want him to play 10 more years in New England. Right. Yeah, like go to Las Vegas or something. Like, come on, <laughs> go go be a problem for Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. Yeah. Exactly. And that really that puts you guys in the driver's seat, I think, for the AFC East with the season that you had this year and everything that you have coming back next year. It really feels like you guys are kind of the leaders in that division now. Like it's a, a big swing for the AFC East. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we'll see. New England's still going to be, be good. I mean, Coach Belichick, uh, talking about the greatest of all time, I mean yeah. – Look at his history. I mean, the year that Tom went down, they still went eleven and five. I think two thousand eight. Uh, to do that with a backup quarterback who didn't take 
the reps all spring and and and, and went right in. And it was weird they didn't even make the playoffs that year, right. uh, going eleven and five. But uh, he's he's an excellent coach. So if if Brady wasn't there, they're still going to be a team to be reckoned with. They got a lot of good players. And, and the Jets, um, you know, last year they they hit the injury bug a little bit. I, you know, and they made a lot of aggressive moves. And and Joe Douglas, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Joe and and Adam Gase, and I have no doubt that they're going to make some moves now that he can kind of set his tone for for what type of team he wants to build. So, uh, And then the Dolphins, you know, they got a lot of draft picks. It'll be interesting to see. You know, everybody assumes they're going quarterback high, um, and I assume they probably will as well. But uh, there'll be a team on the rise. They got a lot of picks. I mean, that's that's going to be fun. You know, sitting in my seat, I'm like, man, look at all those draft picks. But uh, um, I think the division, you know, we still have our work cut out for us. We, we got some free agents. And every year is a new year. And I get that, uh, you know, people are going to say, well, we're right there, but we still have to reprove ourselves. You can be a fluke one year or anything like that. We got to come back. This is a new season, and, and that's real. Our guys have to understand that we're not going to sneak up on anybody anymore. People yep. know we made the playoffs, and they're going to, anytime you play a team that was in the playoffs the year before, the coach is going to measure you against that team. So uh, we have our work cut out for us. I love the different paths that GMs take to get to their seat. And I love yours because you started out as an intern with the Panthers and you go all the way up to assistant GM. And then you get, obviously, the big boy seat in Buffalo, which, you know, you've had an amazing start. What are you know, the qualities you take away when you're in one place for so long, going through literally probably every single possible scouting role? Yeah, you know, um, I, I I treasure how I got here. It was, it was untraditional, um, but I think it helped prepare me for the role in Buffalo um, a, you know, you see all sides of it. I was, I would go fold towels in, in the equipment room. I was helping the player engagement guy set up meetings, you know, with the rookies, um, and then picking up players at the airport. How'd you get to that point? Not to cut you off, but how'd you even get into an internship? So, uh, these crazy PR guys like Derek Boyko that we have, you know, <laughs> uh, one of them, I, I convinced him and I, I probably half lied or something act like I knew what I was doing, but, uh, long enough, I got a, a four week internship in 1998. It, it was Dom Capers last year in Carolina. I got a four-week internship with Charlie Dayton and, and Bruce Spate, um, two well-known PR guys in the league. And they gave me a month. And then what happened, I was home for about a week interviewing for a job. And the pl- there was a football ops slash player engagement in season intern that, that left. And um, they knew I really wanted to get in. I was out of school. And so Bruce Spate called and said, hey, got this opportunity. It's not PR. And I'm like, but Bruce, you know, I, I really I wanted to be on the football side anyway. I would love to do it. And they don't have to pay me. And he's like, no, they have to pay you by rule. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. So I didn't care. Um, and, of course, my wife was looking at me sideways. She was uh, uh, she was a school teacher, you know, funding us both. But uh, it was fun. And uh, it just – it, it was weird, and after that year, they hired you know Marty Herney became uh, director of football ops. He he had come in the, the previous year as the contract guy, and, and George Seifert was hired, and so George was really the first coach that I was directly working for in a full time role, and, and Marty, and and from there it just kind of blossomed into all the way up to assistant GM, and then and then moved to Buffalo. Awesome. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, and our listeners love that. A lot of a lot of people listening to this podcast want to get into scouting. So, 
jobs like yours. And, and but we also have to remind people, like, not everyone can do that. Like, you obviously have some talent and work ethic that is just innate and allows you to go from being a, an intern or a PR guy and, and becoming a general manager. But we thank you for your time. Enjoy Mobile. Uh, it's cold down here. So <laughs> come back up here if you need to to get warm. No joke. We've got Gatorade and Cheez-Its, so we, we got you taken care of uh, if you need anything. But good luck next year. Uh, and I know we're all going to be rooting for you and Coach McDermott and what you guys are building there in Buffalo. Awesome. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, I'll send you an invoice for the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> no pictures, please. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 